Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. We want to thank all of our Patreon members with a benefit available for all. I introduce Rachel's Weekly Check-Ins. Once a week, you'll find a short audio clip covering anything from what's going on in the world to sharing ideas that I'd like to expand on that I think would be of interest and of help to you. We brought something else fun for our patron tiers. You'll see some stylish tote bags and cool stickers. Share a picture of our merch on your social media and don't forget to tag us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to part two of my conversation with Jonathan. The first part of the conversation was very powerful, and the second part of this conversation you will hear is extremely powerful, is emotional, and is seemingly unbelievable, except that it happened and that these things can happen. I applaud Jonathan's bravery and He also, which I've let him know, has received so much wonderful feedback from people who were so happy that he was getting his life back on track, and also from people who said that similar things had happened to them at the hands of a therapist or counselor or quote-unquote healer, where they had their boundaries crossed, where they had to get healing from their quote-unquote healing experience. When I asked Jonathan to send me some information that I could record for his introduction, he wrote something that I read the last time and I'm going to read again this time because it's said so beautifully. And here it is. Jonathan writes, It's a strange feeling when you believe everything is okay, but a voice inside you is saying otherwise. I didn't realize the truth that voice was speaking. And it's taken time to learn how to hear it again. That voice is the reason why I felt moved to talk about my experience openly now. It was more difficult than I expected, but it was healing and helped me better understand how far I've come. I want people to know that things can always change in life. You are never stuck. I want people to realize that despite someone's credentials, authority, or profession, They are still a person just like you. They possess the same human flaws as anyone else and are capable of doing wrong, especially when they know you're vulnerable. Jonathan continues. When I was 15, I was lost. I felt alone and I didn't know how to voice the thoughts and feelings troubling me. My parents were divorced. My mother was ill and I had been fulfilling roles I wasn't ready for, playing a caretaker, parent, brother, son, head of household, and student. While trying to feel like a normal young teenager, it created a blurry and confusing image. It affected me to the point that my family felt I needed help, so I was taken to see a therapist. He seemed genuine and helpful, and he gained my trust by appearing to understand and relate to me. That seemed well, but I did not have the experience to know 
that the healthy boundaries of a therapeutic relationship were never there. From the beginning, he used my vulnerabilities to manipulate my emotions, my belief system, and relationships with my family and friends in order to isolate me and insert himself and his wife into those roles. After 11 years of being manipulated to be responsible for his life and personal needs, I was able to find a way out. Looking back now, it seems clear. What I find difficult is knowing that the person in that story was me. I have memories of experiences that I cannot imagine ever being a part of now, but they really happened. I find every day that passes is another day where I'm living my own life, becoming more of who I want to be. That is the message I want people to know, especially for others who have been manipulated in the same ways. Clients of this and other therapists have had terrible experiences and are trying to learn how to function normally in everyday life. To those who need to hear it, know that it gets better with time. Whether you're finding your way out or have broken free, there is light at the end of the tunnel and life is waiting for you. Beautifully said. Here's the second part of my conversation with Jonathan. I wonder about other ways that they intruded in your life. Was there ever the potential? I mean, you were very busy, so I don't know if there was, but the potential for you to be dating anybody. That was something that I had on a few occasions tried to do as like a lifeline, as like something outside of that. I, I needed to find a reason to say, you know, I'm not available on this day or I'm doing something with so-and-so and he's supposed to be my therapist. So he should be supportive of me, right? I mean, he wants me to feel that he has my best interests in mind. If I find somebody that I want to date or something, then he should encourage that. And, you know, he did to a certain degree, but when it did come to the things that he needed, that was priority. Again, it, it was just, a, it was very strange to have him very that much in my life and Clearly, my partner was not happy with that at all. And, you know, of course, that any of any relationship that I had, just it, there was no way for it to last. You know, also, I wanted to say before when you were talking and you mentioned that his wife got involved, it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen sometimes that there is this recreation of a parental unit that happens within these circles and with controlled environments and with cultic groups and things so that there is often a male and female, whether they are equals or one is in charge and the other one is their, you know, number one, that it then recreates the mother and father dynamic. And I think that that's purposeful. And the fact that she got involved or just kind of inserted herself into what you were doing with him was, I mean, it's amazing. I wonder also about secrets. Usually secrets are tied in with this kind of dynamic that there are things happening that you're not supposed to tell anyone about. You're supposed to be an open book to the therapist or to the person, right, who you're conferring with that you can't have any secrets from them 
but often you're supposed to keep their secrets and keep things private about what's happening. So I'm wondering if that played out in your life. Totally, 100% that it did. I mean, literally everything that I did with them was pretty much a secret. Mm. Like anything that I was doing outside of therapy and really the band, playing in the band, there was family members who knew that I did that. So outside of that, nobody knew I was doing any helping with food shopping or transportation or landscaping or healthcare, any of that kind of stuff. And I was told explicitly that you can never tell anybody about this. People won't understand. They don't understand our relationship. They don't understand that this is something that's, it's different, you know, like really you're not supposed to be doing this, but you know, well, right. And they'll tell me like, well, you understand, right? Like you you understand. Yeah, I understand. You know, like they want me to not talk about any of these things that clearly break all of these boundaries. Right. And so now in retrospect, you can see why they didn't want you to tell. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's red flags all around. Yeah. And I think it's a really good red flag to, to point out that if anyone says, and this will be our secret or don't tell anyone because they won't understand, which is usually the going line Yep. Um, to say goodbye if you can, or to run for the hills if you need to get out of there quickly. But yeah, it's a huge way that they keep getting away with what they're getting away with. Right. And that's even to this day, you know, um, to just to go to add to that, there are people that I know who have been other clients of his who are no longer in community, no longer in any connection with him because of whatever happened between them, you know, wherever he stepped over those boundaries and uh, injured them as well. And I know that they're too scared. They don't want to, they're afraid, they're traumatized. They don't want to speak up. You know, I've asked them. For some, they have difficulty functioning on a day-to-day basis. Wow, that's very sad. I was actually going to ask if there were any other clients. And so you've had a chance to speak with them though. Yeah, with at least one or two. So, um, you know, going forward, I mean, it's something that I want to continue to pursue. I want to, I want to file the the complaint with the appropriate board, you know, and take some sort of action against him for what's been happening. Yeah. I mean, you might find too, that the people who are scared might remain scared or the people who are scared might feel less so when they know they're not the only ones. And so sometimes they don't want to be the one to file the complaint, but they will join in after, depending on how it goes for you. You know, they're going to have you test the water. Right. So uh, that very often is sort of how it, how it happens. But I think it is important to be able to take some of the power back and say, this was wrong on so many levels and there needs to be something done about it. You don't have to share their stories or who they are, but was there overlap or were there other things that happened to them that were surprising to you? I can't really say exactly what happened to this other person because it's also personal to them. Mm-hmm. It was a different situation than mine personally. And it also was somebody who had been a, a patient for maybe double the amount of time that I had been. So they had been for a very, very long time and were very tightly stuck as mm-hmm. well. And you can see now because of their level of functioning, how, how much of an effect it had on them. Incredible. So then with that, 
when you think about somebody who has done things that are so extreme, and then when you hear that they've done things that are similar, if not worse, to other people, it is sometimes helpful to know that, that it wasn't just you, even though it's very sad to know there are other people who are suffering just like you are. Mm -hmm. But I I know I wanted to say, even though I was, you know, you could see my eyebrows getting raised while you were telling some story. I don't want you to feel like these kinds of stories are so out there and extreme to the point where you think, you know, you're damaged beyond what other people have experienced. This is actually fairly common with the situations that I hear about where people are suddenly in people's homes and they're, they are wound up with their family system and they are doing their yard work and they are sometimes paying for things for them and also can't say no. And the other part I was going to ask about is decision-making. Very often you get to a place with these kinds of counselors where you feel like you can't make a decision without conferring with them first. And if you make a decision and it doesn't work out, sometimes it's, or they will tell you, well, that's because you didn't come to me with it first and that's why it didn't work out. And then you get very dependent on them for all of your decisions and don't feel like you can trust yourself with decision-making. And and I'm wondering if that's something that happened with you as well. I mean, I really wasn't making decisions for myself at all because I was so much, I was just, you could say like I was on call all the time. Like I didn't have, like almost like I didn't have a say. Whatever it was that needed to be done was, it just had to be done. And then when it came to myself, it's like I was a second thought. So anything I really needed to do for myself, it's like it wasn't really been coming to question. It was just like, well, I'm doing whatever I'm doing and I'm fine. And the person, and he's the one who needs the help. He needs my assistance. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when it came to things, and I guess this could all lead up to what ultimately happened, but when it came to like personal things for me being able to go to school, for me being able to have a job, you know, obviously I really wasn't able to do those things. You know, I had... I had enrolled in courses and obviously wasn't able to even attend or, or finish because I was really too busy in a care facility all night, uh, you know, every night. So I'd have either have to drop out of those courses or withdraw or do something like that as far as school goes. But here's the crazy thing is that even though that that was happening, I still told this therapist that I'm in school and I'm doing well and I'm finishing, you know, mm. like I'm going through my progressing through and that I'm not having any problems and that everything's fine with me and that I'm still living in my apartment. And I'm telling him that because anything I do say, like if I ever do say, see, I couldn't make a decision. Actually, I could not make a decision for myself. My decision for myself would have been to, you know, move to a different place and not show up at his house, not answer his calls and just go to school and just focus on myself. But if I ever did speak on those things, I was always somehow turned around where I was not allowed to make that decision. I just had to stay where I was. I wasn't allowed to progress. I wasn't allowed to change. I wasn't allowed to do any of those things for myself. And what came, what was more important was him, his needs, and the things that needed to be taken care of there. And the way that he acted was that everything should be fine with me. And it made me wonder, like, I mean, I guess everything is fine. I guess I'm okay. Like, I, I didn't really understand why he's responding that way. 
when I'm saying that I can't pay for my rent. And he's telling me, yes, you can. You have money. You can do that. Right. Like, I, I mean, as crazy as that. And it just came to a point where I moved out of that apartment because I had no money left. I couldn't pay rent. And no matter how much he kept trying to convince me to stay there, I ultimately just, without telling him, left. Mm. And I was just staying with a family member. So and nobody was really asking questions. I just was kind of, you know, in and out okay. for that last, that little brief period of time. I also made efforts to get a job, which I did, to also give me time away from him. He looked at all these actions, like getting a job, as like me trying to create separation. Because there was that part of me that was just getting so tired. I didn't know how I could keep doing all, everything that I was doing for him. I couldn't be forced into doing all this anymore. And I needed to find some way to change things and to take some time for myself and to make some money so I can survive, so I can live. And so I could keep paying his, his therapy sessions on top of it. You know, it, it makes me think of something that I hear about a lot. I guess it's the same thing. Thinking about good parenting, I guess it's similar to good therapy. But you know you've done a good job when the person who you've been taking care of doesn't need you anymore. Right. And so this was quite the opposite, that you you needed to keep needing him because he needed to be needed. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So when you were saying it, this was leading up to something, right. I don't want to interrupt the flow. So go back to what you were saying. Ultimately, what this led up to so his mother-in-law had passed away and I had, you know, I was helping them during that time. Uh, and I thought, well, you know, I'll help them until if, you know, something happens and mm -hmm. they shouldn't need my help anymore after that. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't the case. Obviously everything still continued. If anything, I was even more and more and more involved in everything with them in them needing me on a daily basis whatever they had me do, write reports, write complaints, like doing all sorts of crazy things that I'm doing for them, insurance things. And they got to a point where they were saying that this therapist told me he needs more. He's not making enough money. First of all, I don't know why he's telling me that. That has nothing to do with me, but he did tell me everything. And he was, he asked if I would submit receipts to my insurance company to reimburse for therapy, but I was only paying him for an hour of therapy. What he would routinely do is just waste a lot of time so that each session would take upwards of three hours. Even if it wasn't really therapeutic or anything, I'm just sitting there in the room with him talking to me, with him mostly talking um, week after week. And so he said, well, what we should do is submit for three hours. He's like, I need you to submit three hours of time a week to your insurance company, you're only going to pay me for one hour and I'll take the other two hours. So he asked me to do that. And I didn't really know, you know, he just said, fill out this form. This is what we're going to do. And I did, but my concern was that I hadn't told him that I had moved out of this apartment that I was living in. And I knew that for the years that had been such a weird thing around Mm -hmm. around him so obviously I had a different address and I fill out this form and I tell him I have to talk to him because I'm, I'm not living there and the moment that 
I came out and said, well, I, I'm, you know, I didn't tell you, I, I moved out of this apartment, you know, even about not being able to finish school and all these things. And they suddenly turned this into a situation. Uh, they blew it up into a, like some crazy story of me stealing money and stealing what he calls services from him. What? I, he made a claim that all the time that I'd been seeing him, I've had enough money to be able to pay his full fee, which oh, he claimed. Which oh, he claims. Oh, God. Oh, no. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. So he says that I owe him all these, all this time for his full fees, which, you know, I was never paying anywhere near and was never even discussed or agreed upon in that way. But, you know, his fees are something like $700 an hour, apparently. And I have to pay him back and calculate over the entirety of time that I saw him and now start paying him back for this services that I somehow conned him into giving to me by lying about my my mental health and lying about needing help and not lying about not having money to pay for therapy. You know, this is years and years later that he's saying, now I have to go back and do that because I hid this thing from him, right? Okay, about forgetting work. about all the thousands of hours you spent doing free labor for them and taking care of the mother-in-law throughout the night, every night. That all gets forgotten about. No, no therapist I know has a piece, especially at that time. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. That's okay. I mean, so they he makes this claim that I have to pay him back. And um, I go into total shock. I didn't know. I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't know what he actually meant. I couldn't believe that he was trying to say this in a serious way. Like he was really accusing me. And I'm thinking, how could he accuse me? Me of all people, the only person here like doing anything to help him. Like, how could he think that? And so I was thinking, well, maybe there's just a reason. Maybe it's a lesson. Maybe it's something he's trying to teach me. Maybe it's something therapeutic, you know? And that's, and he was even telling me, you should take responsibility for your actions. And if you do something wrong, take responsibility. It even helps if you write it down. So he had me write it down, write down what I did, write down the money that I have to pay him back. This is therapeutic. You should write your name and sign your name. It's very therapeutic oh, to do that because wow. you take ownership. So that's what he had me do is actually sign my name into a, a written confession of stealing services from him. Oh. And not just that, he added on, on top of that, stealing money like cash from his house he made a claim that i stole money from his house and he pursued all these things against me legally that's what i've been working through for the past uh several about five years now because and that was the reason why i i was able to leave because they took legal action against me and i was there was really nothing to do at that point, I can't continue to stay. And I just saw that they were just making things up. They had really going crazy or whatever it is. I didn't, there was nothing else I could do there. And I had to get out. I realized in that moment, you know, with all those things happening and coming up to the day where they wanted me to, where they had me drive the three of us to the police department where they wanted to have me arrested. They wanted me arrested there on site. And the officer wouldn't do it because there was no proof. And I'm, and I'm not going to admit to that. It was something that I, did, that I didn't do. I mean, I just got to the point where I stopped talking. I said, there's nothing I can do or say. And I didn't do this. And I don't know what else to do. So from that day is the last time that I saw them in that context.
And how long ago was that? That night was in 2014, in November. Okay. And I'm curious what's happened since then, but just to take us back to going to the police department, can you imagine if you want to have someone arrested, huh. any person who we want to have arrested, would you mind driving us to the police right. department? Well, and that's exactly what the detective said, because he said, wait a minute. Because first of all, he thought that they were talking about someone else because I'm standing right there in the room with them. And he realized that they were indicating it was me. And he just couldn't understand. It just said he thought something was terribly off as it was. And um, he just basically separate, you know, he took me in a separate room and had me give a statement and um, basically sent us on our own way. And that was that. I'm curious. I mean, I, again, you don't have to share this, but I'm curious about the statement because here, that's such a pivotal moment to me that you get to actually, well, you don't have to keep the secret anymore. In fact, you need to not keep the secret and you right. have to give your statement, which is going to be a monumental thing. I think the police officer probably didn't even realize how much you had to push through the wall to give your statement. So what did you say? I had to write, I had to give a written statement and a verbal statement that supposedly was on record on recording. He had a little tape recorder. And I basically just said that, you know, these are people that I know that this is my therapist. They're friends of mine. I've been trying to help them. They're saying that I, they started saying that I took something from them or took money from them. And I never did. And I just denied any of those accusations. That's all I could really state to them at that time. I really didn't know what else to do. I just was saying that I, I didn't take anything. That was never part of it. And so from that moment, then you went your way and yeah. then you didn't have therapy anymore. I mean, it goes a lot. It, it goes even deeper than this, as you might, might imagine, because there's a lot of other moving parts. There's a lot of other, you know, there's other people that are involved in, in implicating me in taking, stealing fees and stealing money. You know, they're saying that I didn't, they claimed that I didn't do this alone and that part of the responsibility that I'm taking is that I did this together with my family, with my father, with my uncle, with my grandmother, with my mother, that everybody was part of this big con to steal these services from him, to steal his resources, and somehow stealing money became part of that. And they wanted me to implicate all of them. And so when he had me sign this and take responsibility, like make a confession that he forced me into and told me that it's something therapeutic, but he had me implicate my father and my family. And he, he had me so far in a way that I was trying to just, uh, you know, I was trying to help him, you know, he, him and his wife were telling me that they have nothing. They were they were at this they were playing this whole act of being hysterical and crying and screaming and calling a, an attorney and telling me like they really need their money back and they need something and you know where's the money Jonathan where's the money and they're asking me where did you put it did you put it where is it and is it an account where do you have it we need it back Jonathan where did you put it and now i'm like in this weird almost like in a trance and they're they're you know right feeding me things they're trying to get me to you know, go with this story that they've been uh, mm -hmm. suggesting to me of including my family somehow in all of this. Mm -hmm. So they pursued not just me, but also 
my other family members who they also implicated in this situation. So um, from when I left that evening from the police department, I went to my father's house. He welcomed me there. We spoke about the situation because earlier in the day, I mean, I had called him from an attorney's office that they had me call him to see if he would admit to this thing that they were implicating him in, which of course he has no knowledge of. And it's a ludicrous thing. And he's just telling me to just talk to him or call him or just whatever, see him when I'm done with everything. Mm -hmm. So I just went there and I told him about everything that had been going on all this time. He didn't know anything. He didn't know about anything that I had been doing. Nobody knew about anything I'd been doing. My dad, my family, they were just totally in shock and in in awe of what was happening. They they had no clue. Nobody knew. And again, it was the secret that I had to keep. So, um, but he was also, like I said, you know, he welcomed me in and we were able, we were able to come together and start to start working on things, you know, in some form or another. And it's just something that we continue to work on. But, you know, the case itself is something that also has been progressing. And recently, at the end of last year, it was finally dismissed with prejudice, their motion against me. So that case shouldn't be able to be brought back up. Although they are appealing that decision and trying to move this to the next level of court, we don't think that it'll go any further than that. It's been nonstop. He's been torturing me with continuously having to now defend myself against these things and costing me money that I don't even have because I haven't had to have a life. You know, I'm just trying to get into my own life now. Wow. The fact that they are just continuously torturing you after they've used you for so many years is cruel. It's really cruel. And it's not at all something you or anyone else should ever be put through. And so I understand why you wanna do something about this. I'm wondering if he's still seeing clients. If I were to guess, and what my intuition says is that totally, yes, he is. And um, I know his uh, license is still active. The fact that it was dismissed with prejudice and they're still not wanting to take no for an answer because that's sort of their MO, right? I mean, they Uh, never took no for an answer. Right. They don't stop. So this is just par for the course, but in a bigger way. I wonder, as you've been moving through the legal system and all of that, as you've been sharing what's been going on, have you felt supported by the system? Have they been able to say to you, wow, this is really incredible? Or have you noticed that there are limitations to the law that are kind of motivating you to want to do something? I would say more so what the limitations of the law or or the abilities of people who can represent me in this situation. I think in response to the case, I really took what was first available to me to respond right? And because it was not just myself, but also other people in my family, it's considered like a joint defense. So all the attorneys were sort of set up and I was sort of assigned somebody who has defended me. But as far as being able to have, you know, the kind of knowledge that could really protect me in this situation, that could advocate, I would say more so than protect, but also to advocate and take action for the wrongs that were done to me because mm-hmm. in this situation, it just always looks like like I am defending myself against his accusations as if I've done something wrong 
when the entire time it's been him. And I want to take that situation to him. I want the responsibility to put be put on him mm-hmm. and for consequences to be distributed as they should be. Because right now, nothing's happening. Nothing is happening. He's still, they're still doing everything that they do. He's still functioning in whatever way he does on a daily and I'm sure seeing clients. Uh, he continues to move through the court system for somebody who says that they have absolutely no money and that I took everything from them, yet they're still constantly hiring attorneys and f- trying to move things through the court system, which costs money, which we don't know where they continue to get it from. I don't know what else to really do in, on that end. And that's why I feel that there has to be another avenue or another place where there can be more support and there can be more action. Right. And I'm hoping anyone listening also, if you have connections or if you have an idea for Jonathan or with this situation, there are other people, many other people in your predicament and that it is unconscionable that the laws protect the people who do this more than they protect the people who are victimized by them. That's sort of always been the case. I know a lot of people who have had very bad experiences in cult huge cultic groups where they brought them to court and they themselves have lost even though they were destroyed. And so I just don't understand it. I don't know if I ever will. So yeah, if anyone has ideas, please let us know. I'm curious just how you're doing with all of this because I don't know how you, when you're saying you're starting your life now, how do you do that with all of this hanging over you? I just go. (laughs) I just, uh, you know, I, I, I guess there's a, a part of myself that just always keeps moving, you know, and I try to just move on and deal with it as best as I can. And I think I'm learning how to address the situations that are that I feel most confronted by, the things that I feel are hindering me the most, or whether it's emotionally, you know, and just in any way, you know, I did, I was in therapy for some time, at least four years, a therapist that I had seen who, um, just was very helpful, I think, in even in, in just showing me that there can be, this is the difference between an unhealthy and a healthy therapeutic relationship. You know, it's, uh, we have a schedule, we have a set time, you know, and when that time is up is when we finish. And that allows me to have that trust in that person that they are observing. They're, I'm in their space. They are the ones creating this space where I can feel safe to talk about these things and to not have to feel responsible for other things that are unknown to me. So everything should be known. Everything should be transparent. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to really experience that through that therapeutic relationship. Good. And, um, you know, I've continued working and I'm still doing that. I'm still trying I've always been very uh, physically active, so I try to do things that are that keep me moving and keep me in a positive state of mind and try not to be too overwhelmed by these things. And um, thankfully, I've just also been really blessed to have really good people to come into my life. Who's come into your life? I think just... Uh, yeah, I mean, I have my my girlfriend now who, um, you know, was a person who showed me 
love showed me that I can be loved. She's really teaching me a lot. She's uh, very supportive. Mm. And uh, she's the reason why I'm here talking to you. Mm -hmm. You know, and my family has also really been there in the way that they can. You know, there hasn't, even if we don't always understand each other, I always know that they love me. I know they have my best interests in mind. You know, they were there when I, had to, when I left this therapist, you know, they took me in. So, you know, thankfully I've just had people around me. I have a few very close friends that I'm still connected with. And Dang. they're also just a network of support mm -hmm. that I can have in my life. Really good. Yes, you are blessed. There are a lot of people who did very bad things and said very bad things to their families and their friends and Mm, during these kinds of experiences because they were pushed to or they were pushed mm -hmm. to believe that these things were truths about these other people and in some situations the families and friends dropped them because they didn't understand that if they had just been on their own they would never have done this on your own you would have been living with your dad and so I think it's really wonderful and it's a really good reminder for the others to do what they can to keep the connection mm -hmm. and to be very forgiving because you, it's important to be clear about whose fault it is and whose it isn't. And it's not yours. So uh, it's really good that everyone is still around. Yeah, and um, I notice how much my perception of all these things can change. I mean, it's not always what you think it is. You know, my perception of my family or who I am and who's important to me and who cares for me. And that, you know, I may have seen things one way at one point in time. And mm -hmm. being able to be separate from this therapist now for some time and starting to hear my own self, hear my own thoughts, hear my own voice. Mm -hmm. and starting to understand who I am, I can see and I can understand how people in my family have felt from their perspective and not understanding what was happening. And I can understand how it would look to somebody like in their position. It wasn't an easy situation for any of us. No. And I, I think also people sometimes come out of these situations, and I don't mean to talk for you, but they they berate themselves at times like how come they weren't strong enough to to stand up for themselves or to leave or to you know say no and what you come to find out at least I hope that you've come to find this out is that you were put in, in a situation where I think you felt that you didn't have choices there really were no good choices and proof of the pudding is that when you finally did put your foot down this is the firestorm that you right. got and it's continuing. Right. <clears throat> so it sort of shows why you didn't leave earlier because I think people kind of intuit what can happen. You can't always picture all the details, but you know, it's going to be something and it's going to be something that you're going to potentially regret, even though um, I'm really still glad that you're free from them. And it's also not a sign of weakness to stay within a system like this. In fact, I think you can find out in some weird sort of backhanded compliment way 
the strength that you have, what you can put up with, that you can be up all night for many nights in a row and that you can deal with that stress and having to be on call and having to answer, answer to someone all the time. I mean, it takes a lot. So just as we finish up, I want to ask you if there's anything else that you wanted to make sure to mention. And, and I was also wondering about the red flags because, you know, you mentioned a couple of them as you started to learn about your experience and now afterwards and what's sort of a, a list of them off the top of your head that you think people need to watch out for in, in really any relationship. The biggest thing that I can take away from this is how important boundaries are and really knowing and respecting, especially your own personal boundaries. And those are very real. I really almost didn't have them, you know, uh, when I was younger. And I would say that when those boundaries, you should, there's a time to put your foot down with things, you know, I really do wish that I, I had a long time ago. I wish that I didn't take so long, but just any time that I felt that I felt a feeling and an internal feeling of sort of being confused or uncomfortable. I mean, that really needs to be, I, I really should have listened to that. You know, I have a, an intuition. I have this inner voice that's telling me that something's wrong and um, I refused to listen to it and I pushed it down and I, you know, so I didn't honor my own feelings. I didn't honor any of these emotions and it allowed me to be used in any way that they wanted. And in a situation like this, in any relationship, I mean, if you're not comfortable and if somebody's, even if they seem like they're doing something that's nice, you know, they want to do something like a day for dinner, even when you're not comfortable and they don't respect that you want to leave and that you're tired. I'm tired. I don't want to stay. I want to go. Well, then that's fine. Okay, great. No problem. Next time, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be something that now invalidates my feeling. It's really important to pay attention to that. It's hard when you want to please people and you want people to be happy with you and you want to seem like a nice person. And I think people want to be polite. I think when someone crosses your boundary, though, they are kind of forfeiting the right to have you treat them respectfully because they're not treating you respectfully. I think a lot of people take a while to learn that. I know that was something that I had to learn and it's a hard one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's totally foreign. Mm-hmm. Like it's something I'm, I'm learning, you know, I'm continuing to learn. I'm, you know, I don't feel that I'm ever going to be subject to what happened in, in this situation ever again. It's just too present with me. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I know what I feel when I feel it now. So I can, I'm able to respond. I mean, I do have a strength now, which I didn't have before, which is that I can recognize these trends. I recognize these patterns. I understand, you know, what people may be alluding to or what they're actually saying, you know, what they're, you know, more than just what their words are saying. Right. So I love that point also because we could go through a list, like I was suggesting, of having red flags, but I, it seems the more important thing to do is to know that there is a part of you that's built in, that is your intuition, that guides you and is trying to guide you. And of course, people sort of born and raised in cultic groups don't necessarily have that, and they have to learn that. But if you've had it, 
if you've had exposure to the outside world and you've seen whether it happened in your family or not, still just even watching TV or reading the news or watching whatever, you get a sense of relationships and boundaries and, you know, it's sort of uh, modeled in other uh, environments and other relationships and that you speak to yourself and you just need to listen. And sometimes it's not even clear at the time, I think, what's bothering you, but you just know something is and you need to take some time to review it for yourself and to trust that you're going to guide yourself in some way. There was a quote, I posted it probably already a long time ago, so I might repost it. And, uh, you know, often there's a quote and then it says who it's by. And the quote is, I told you so. And it's by your intuition. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, it did tell me. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. So thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. I know there are days more of details. Um, so I know it's hard just to narrow it down to talk about it, but it's very powerful. And I know the people listening are going to be very supportive of you and frustrated on your behalf and angry and rightfully so, especially because there hasn't yet been justice. And so again, if anyone has some ideas or resources, please let us know. And so I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to just speak about this situation and get this message out there. I really do appreciate it. And I'm gonna continue working on this until it's really resolved. That's great, that's great. Okay, hope to talk to you soon. Okay, same, thank you. One more thing before you go. I truly wanna thank Jonathan for sharing his story with us. I know that he needed to condense many, many years of experiences into a two-episode show. And so I'm sure there's so much that he needed to leave out, but of the information that he shared with us, it has been very moving for a lot of people. A lot of the feedback I've received has been that They've also been taken advantage of by people who were in positions of uh, being a therapist or a healer or anyone who they went to for emotional and mental health support. It's really unconscionable to take advantage of people in this way. And I'm so happy that Jonathan is free from it. One of the things that he mentioned was about starting to have doubts and how those doubts are treated when you're in a situation where someone really cannot tolerate you doubting them and they like that you are dependent on them or they like the money that you're paying to them. And so they have to make sure just to push away your doubts or to make you wonder or question why you're having those doubts as opposed to doing anything to really prove that you have no reason to doubt. People are often taught not to doubt. You know, the expression, just trust me, or mm, don't ask questions, just do as you're told, or that's the way it is, or because I said so as an answer. 
And I think when people are in situations where they're really not sure, they'll often ask, "Mm, are you sure about that? And then it's often followed by, really? And that's a person who is probably going to be talked out of following up on their doubts and concerns, but is clearly expressing them, is clearly having them. Doubt can be very uncomfortable, but it's an important state because it's your safety net. It prompts your critical thinking, your questioning. It gives you the chance to get answers. It gives you the chance to get other opinions and second opinions, third opinions. There's a Persian proverb that says, doubt is the key to knowledge. And I think to add to that, sometimes also the key to mental health, therapeutic safety. Yes, sometimes our doubt can run rampant. Sometimes we know about ourselves that we might suffer from anxiety or we have OCD. We have something that just makes us question and revisit things and perseverate. And that is something certainly to address and to deal with. The kind of doubt I'm talking about today, though, is the kind of doubt that is not actually standing in your way, but helps you pave a safer way. Don't let anyone take it away from you. Don't let anyone make you see it in a bad light. A lot of cults will say, oh, that's what's standing in your way, the fact that you're having questions, the fact that you're having doubts. But if you think there's a reason you're having questions, sometimes nagging questions because something just doesn't seem right, but you've been made to feel critical about your own doubt in that situation, if it helps, maybe you can change the wording. And instead of thinking of it as doubt, maybe change the word to being curious. Maybe you can say you're wondering. Maybe you can use the phrase that you're just trying to gain a greater understanding or make a more fully educated decision, or you're in pursuit of answers, or maybe you're trying to understand your uncertainty. You can also decide that the reason that you're having doubts is that you really want to expand your knowledge, or you want to be able to have clarity about why you're having the reactions that you're having. It is very healthy to be skeptical. It's not a negative thing. It means that you're going to hold out for proof before accepting something as fact. Right now in our world, it's very hard to get facts. Facts are dealt with like, hmm, there are some fact facts and there are some not real facts and kind of the word has become a bit more meaningless. There's fake news and conspiracies. There's so much spin, so many false correlations. It's important as much as possible to go to a source of information that's as objective as possible. You want to cross-reference your information. You want to 
consult people outside the system, outside that way of thinking, outside that therapy office. You want to consult with people who have nothing to gain by allaying your fears and diminishing your doubts. You want to consult with people who do not benefit from you keeping your blinders on. And remember, an opinion is not a fact, even if it's offered by someone in a position of authority. A therapist's opinion is not a fact. I say that as a therapist. I like when people ask me why I think something and how I came to that conclusion. And then I expect and I hope that you'll do your own research, that you'll ask others, or that you'll look inward and not just accept things as fact, just because I said them. It's so important, as we talk about in the show, to question, to challenge, to ask, to reevaluate. Sometimes we doubt things, though, because we're just afraid. If someone said that they wanted me to go ziplining or skydiving and to trust them and nothing bad has happened so far and nothing bad will happen, I'm going to doubt because that's triggering my fears. But other times we doubt for a really, really, really good reason. You don't have to justify or explain why you're having that feeling of doubt. You also sometimes can't even put your finger on why you're feeling it. Sometimes it is just a feeling. Let it register and honor it and get the answers you need. I want to wish Jonathan well, and I wish for him to have a good and healthy and happy life. And anytime he wants to come back on the show to share more about his experiences or about the path that he has taken after these experiences and how he has healed, he is more than welcome. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrinationpodcast and for Twitter, Find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.